Jericho Road is a podcast and a Sunday school class and a ministry of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. These days, we're looking at the world of Jesus as it is told by the Gospel of Mark. We hope you'll join us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Jericho Road. We're in Season 3, where we are looking at the world of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to take a minute in this episode and recap what we've learned so far about the Galilean ministry. And then in the next three episodes, we're going to take a break from Mark and go to stories about Christmas. We're going to learn about Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph to get us ready for the holiday season. We will return to Mark after the first of the year. But what I want us to go over today are four pillars of the story so that you can understand uh, what happened in Galilee when Jesus arrived there and set their world on fire. And the first of these pillars or these foundational ideas would be that Jesus upended their idea of time. Time. Now, to understand any Bible story, we've got to understand that the Hebrews gave us a concept of time. In fact, this idea of time is their gift to Western civilization. A good analogy of how one idea can beget another good idea and can beget another good idea is the analogy of the invention of the vacuum tube back in 1904 at the beginning of the last century. You know, a vacuum tube is a little glass tube that contains electric flow through a vacuum, and it's crucial to the development of sound recording and amplification. So now with the invention of a vacuum tube, a single musician could fill a room with sound. And it was particularly good for the electric guitar, which means that it was particularly suited for the blues music of the Delta of Mississippi, which means that this was excellent music not heard very much in the U.S. due to the Jim Crow laws of our nation. But the British kids loved it, which means that the British invasion of the 1960s was a direct result of the blues music and the vacuum tube. We can thank the Beatles and the Stones, or they can thank the vacuum tube for their being there. Well, in the case of time, one good idea begets another good idea, which begets another good idea. Other ancient peoples of the time of the Hebrews didn't think in time the same way. They thought in wheels or in circles. You can read ancient inscriptions that would say that the king ruled for a thousand years, which is not true. They simply didn't care about time. So they had no real idea of past or even future, and the Hebrews began to record stories in time. Abraham lived, Abraham walked, Abraham died for two reasons. One, they believed that if God did something once, God would do it again. If God was faithful to Abraham, God will be faithful to us. It works like that. If the prophets would say something once, the prophets would say it now. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, we read that Jesus goes up onto the temple mount in the last week of his life, and he overturns the money changers, right? He overturns their tables, and he calls their place of business a den of robbers, which would have been electric to them, because in Jeremiah 7, verse 11, some 600 years before Jesus, the the prophet said the same thing. He called them a den of robbers, same words in the same place. This is what made Jesus so exciting in the Galilee. If God did something once, God would do it again, and in Jesus God was back in living color. But there is another reason. Um, They recorded time because they also believed that time would end one day. The prophets called this the day of the Lord, which simply means that when time ends, that would be God's last word. And at the end of time, there would be justice and there would be judgment and there would be equality. There would be no pain or no tears. We call it heaven. 
But Jesus had a new message regarding time in the Galilee, and he blew their minds. I'm going to read to you from the first chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the 14th verse, just two verses, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, this might get right by us as something that you would expect Jesus to say, but what he's saying to them is that the day of the Lord has already happened. With Jesus' arrival, the day of the Lord is here and now, and this was mind-blowing for them. The best analogy I can come up with is D-Day, June 6, 1944. The war in Europe was effectively over when our soldiers secured that beach in Normandy. The war in Europe would be finished, but it wasn't over yet. There would be a lot of war left to fight, another year of bloodshed and struggle. But when we secured the beach, the war in Europe was finished. Well, you could say the same thing about Jesus in a rescue operation in time. There is a lot wrong with our world, but in Jesus, we can see heaven from here. Or another way to say it is this, the world has got a lot of heaven in it. We call it the kingdom of God right under our noses. All we have to do is look and we don't even have to wait. That's the first pillar, time. The second pillar is the authority of Jesus or the authority of God to work in our lives. I want you to read the stories carefully and you'll notice that Jesus' first miracle is an exorcism and it's remarkable. They had exorcists living in those days. It would involve an incantation and perhaps special clothes or a scroll or a candle. In this case, there is no incantation and there's nothing even long and drawn out. It's just a command, be silent, come out of him. And then Jesus' first healing is to heal Simon's mother-in-law of the fever. He simply takes her by the hand and the fever is gone and she gets up to serve them just like she always wanted to. There are two storms recorded in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. And Jesus ends these storms on the lake with just a word. We learn that storms can come up quick on the Sea of Galilee being the lowest freshwater lake on planet Earth, the wind blowing around there. You can die in a boat on a lake like that. And yet Jesus says, peace, be still. And in between those two outward storms, we have a story of an inward storm as Jesus heals a demoniac living among tombs with authority. Uh, I want to say a word about demonic possession. I really can't leave, let this go because you have to understand that the de- demoniacs are an important aspect of revealing Jesus' authority. In the world of Jesus, all kinds of illnesses would have been ascribed to demonic possession, and it was a common description in Galilee. The Jewish people had been living alongside their Gentile neighbors for centuries who were easily, uh, easily explained things as the as demonic possession or or having been influenced by the spirit world, if you will. So these were cultural markers for them. In the case of Mark chapter 5, in between the two water storms, we have, we have a man living in tombs below a Greek city called Hippos, and I've been there and I want to tell you about it. Hippos is a Greek-speaking Gentile city. It's one of the cities of the Decapolis. It was a trading city, and they used retired Roman legionnaires as a security force there. They used them as, as a police force. These are people who had been soldiers all their lives. And it's very possible that this man living in the tombs, this demoniac with a thousand demons in his mind, uh, would have been one of these soldiers because Jesus asked the demons their name and they say, my name is Legion. My, My friends living over there believe that it's quite possible that this was a soldier suffering from PTSD. 
a lifetime of murder and mayhem had driven him out of his mind, a storm that drove him, drove him far away from people and drove him into the scariest place where he could ever live. And yet Jesus heals the man, restores him uh, to, 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 rock, to his right mind, to sight and to love and to being in communion with God and neighbor again. And he begs to follow Jesus. He begs to follow him back to the Jewish side of the lake away from the Gentile side of the lake so that he can be a disciple like Peter and James and John. But in this case, Jesus says, go and tell. Go tell your neighbors and your friends what God has done for you, and he does, which is also a remarkable story from the world of Jesus to the gospel of Mark. Because in Mark chapter 5, the man is healed. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus returns to that Gentile side of the lake and feeds 4,000 people. Now, just three chapters back, there's no one who wants Jesus around. Jesus sends these demons into the swine. They rush headlong into the lake, which means that the Gentile people living there, the pig farmers, have lost their investment. They want Jesus gone. But three chapters later, Jesus returns and feeds 4,000 eager people to hear the gospel, which means that this guy could sell. It's the greatest salesman in the Bible nobody ever talks about, and he's healed with authority. But Jesus doesn't always want people to tell. Uh, As a matter of fact, and if you read the Gospels carefully, Jesus rarely wants people to tell. Um, What we're told is the story begins in Simon Peter's house when he heals the woman of the fever and she feeds him. And after this, Simon Peter's house is simply referred to as the house. The house. The house is mentioned again and again and again as a base of operations. And a house is the place where Jesus can speak to his disciples in private. And I want you to notice that while he's trying to teach them and unpack with them who he really is, whenever Jesus heals or performs an exorcism outside the house, he doesn't tell anyone to to share, and like the Gentile man across the lake. Rather, this is a feature of the gospel that was becomes known as the messianic secret. Don't tell anyone. Go tell the priest what God has done for you, but don't tell anyone. Don't tell your neighbors and your friends that I've done this. Messianic secret. The word Messiah is a Jewish idea that a leader would come and lead them into a messianic age. And God's people at that point in history were suffering under the Romans so that they dreamed that there would be a a general to lead them into a messianic age, which means out from under the boot of the Roman Empire and Roman taxes. And we noted in a previous episode that about 100 years after Jesus, a revolutionary leader, a man named Simon bar Kokhba did lead a successful revolt against the Romans, and they called him the Messiah. Bar Kokhba means son of a star. It's a reference to Numbers 24, verse 17, which was a messianic dream. But this Messiah didn't end well. It took the Romans a couple of years to get their act together, but they came down with their legions and they crushed the movement and killed hundreds of thousands of people. So that in the world of Jesus, in this tense and expectant time, Jesus couldn't afford to be misunderstood. He was to be a suffering Messiah, like the dream in Isaiah chapter 53, not a soldier or a warrior. And now some of the other stories of the Bible will begin to make sense with this pillar in mind, like the scene from Mark chapter 6, verse 45. After feeding 5,000 people on the Jewish side of the lake, we're told in verse 45, he, quote, immediately made them get into the boat and go to Bethsaida. He immediately made them get into the boat. He hurried them into a boat to go to the eastern shore of the lake because they had to get out of there. And it would prove to be quite a story indeed because Mark chapter 6 is about a storm that they all knew was brewing, but he told them to go anyway. He couldn't be misunderstood 
as a general who could raise the dead and feed an army with a few crumbs of bread and a few fish. So to recap, on the Gentile side of the lake, the good news of Jesus is no threat. On the Jewish side of the lake, it's dangerous news indeed. Which brings me back to a scene from Mark chapter 9. It's Mark chapter 9, verse 33, and it's back in that house. It's back in the house. It's the base of operation, the safe place for them to talk, the place where Jesus can reveal who he really is. It's a sad scene because Jesus is having to undo some argument they had about who was the greatest, which is exactly what he didn't want him doing. It's Mark chapter 9, verse 33. goes like this. When they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, see the house is the same house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the 12 and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. I want you to think about this as we read the story as a whole together. They're back at the house where they always were. They're back at the house of Simon Peter and his mother-in-law. They're back at the house of Simon Peter's family, which means that when Jesus took a child into his arms, he took Simon Peter's kid. And I like to imagine as Simon Peter went, went on to become the rock upon which Christ would build his church, he would remember that scene in the house where they were safe to tell the truth, where if he wanted to, if he wanted to live, he needed to die. If he wanted to be served, he needed to serve. If he wanted to be great, he needed to be like a little child, his child. And this is what happened in the house. Which brings us to our fourth pillar, which is about healing and the truth of it. Healing is restoration to God and each other. I like to say again and again that Jesus did not perform tricks to prove his existence. And I do believe that this is an important part of our own faith development. We may say our prayers and, and perhaps a door of opportunity still slams shut. We may say our prayers and hear nothing but crickets. We may say our prayers and hear no. And in, when we're early in our walk with God, we might say, well, there you go. It's not real. It's, it's a pipe dream. It's a, it's a whistling in the dark. It's a fond wish, but he's not real. But in time, we begin to learn the wisdom of God, and a walk with God doesn't involve dialing up our prayers like a cosmic vending machine, but rather walking in trust, even towards horizons that we can't see in the moment. So what we see here in these stories from Galilee is that healing is not there to prove that I'm real, I'm real, I'm real, but rather healing is meant to overcome important barriers. In the past episode, we learned that unclean is a very important concept in the word world rather by definition unclean means something unfit for the worship of god and the word is used over 100 times in the book of leviticus so unclean is a really really big deal so in addition to the healing of a man from a thousand demons in his mind in mark chapter 5 we also have a story that's called a sandwich it's really really meaning two stories that that put together like a sandwich they inform each other or they interpret each other so what happens is that Jesus is summoned by the leader of the synagogue to heal his child, a sick girl. Jairus is terrified. He bows before Jesus, revealing that he's desperate for anything. But Jesus is interrupted in the crowd by a woman with a hemorrhage. Now, since the word blood means life and she has a hemorrhage, that means that her life is leaving her and it's making others unclean around her. And Mark is very careful with the details here. This woman is hopeless. She's been slowly losing her life for 12 years, but she dares to touch Jesus and he feels it, 
which means that God feels our hurt. God feels when we're happy, but God feels when we're hurting. And when we're sad, God hurts when we hurt and she is restored. Well, that's not the only story, right? Jesus was on his way to heal a suffering child, and they're told that the child has died. She was 12 years old, and the woman suffered for 12 years, which means that these two stories are the same stories. The woman was unclean and now has been healed. The child has died, which means that she's unclean, and yet she's raised to life, and this happens. This little scene is from Mark chapter 5. It's verse 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was about 12 years of age. Talitha kum a snapshot into their world, into their language, an intimate personal touch from an intimate personal God who heals us and restores us and brings us home by name. So here we are. There are four pillars to this Galilean part of the story. We know now that there is a new idea of time, that heaven is right under our noses if we only look for it. We know that God heals with authority authority over heaven and earth and any storm we might find ourselves within. God heals storms. We also know about the messianic secret, which simply means that we often misuse the purposes of God. We often misunderstand so that God reveals to us who God really is and what God wants from us. And finally, healing is a restoration to God and each other. All of these point to our personal relationship and our daily walk with our God. So, After three new episodes on Christmas, we'll return to two other pillars of the story as we complete the world of Jesus as told by the Gospel of Mark. And these two pillars are this, sacrifice, resurrection. Thanks so much, friends. See you next time.